Thank you, Toju. That was awesome. All right. Do you get us again together? We're having fun. We're having fun. Okay. We have to start out with celebration, of course, because we have 20 people, 20 people going through the waters of baptism tonight. Guys, this is amazing. This is amazing. And I know right now you're thinking, what? I'm not going to be able to see it. I'm not going to be there. I know. Listen, we are going to record it and we are going to celebrate together in a couple of weeks. We're going to show you all the stories of what God is doing. Okay. So don't worry. You won't miss it. You won't miss it. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, we're continuing in our look more like Jesus series as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew five and six. And again, this message is transforming us. It's meant to transform us because Jesus is coming with a new way. He's talking about a new kingdom that he's inviting every single one of us to live into, the kingdom of heaven. And because he actually wants us to live out on earth as it is in heaven, all right? So he's teaching us a new way. He's bringing a new way that he wants us to live. And I heard this song lyric this week, and I loved it. And I actually am going to pose it as a question for you right now to think about as we go through this message today. And the, and the, the line went like this, are you waiting on heaven or is heaven waiting on you? And so I want you just to think about that as we dive deeper into understanding what does it mean to live out the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You see, Jesus, every time that he spoke, he leveled the playing field. He had this brilliant way of looking past the things that we're impressed by externally. Success, confidence, even beauty, things that we elevate on the outside. Jesus looked right past those things and he looked to the heart of a person. That's what was important to him because that's where sin comes from. That's where what destroys us actually comes from, not what we can project on the outside. And so in this part of the message that we're going to unpack today, Jesus goes to the very most vulnerable place as he begins to confront some external things like murder and adultery and divorce and broken promises. But he not only confronts those things, but he turns up the heat all together to say, it's not just about those things. It's not just about the external things that we see on the outside that are sinful. The motives of where these things come from are what I have come to address. Because again, he wants to level the playing field. He doesn't want us to look to the left or to the right and say, wow, did you see what that person did? Externally, he actually says, no, you're the very same as that person. Ouch, ouch. We're so good at focusing on the sins of others, on what we see in others. We're not quite as good at focusing on the sin in ourselves. But Jesus does this every time with us, and he says, no, you're the very same, because all have fallen short. Every single one of us has sinned, and all have fallen short, and all of us are in need of a Savior. What a beautiful, beautiful place of togetherness we find ourselves in humanity. 
And so as we dive into Matthew 5, if you have your Bibles here today, you can open it up. We're going to start in verse 17. If you're online, you can follow along uh, in your Bible or on the screen. Jesus starts by saying what he's not saying before he gets into saying what he is saying. And it goes like this. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Of course, he's speaking about himself on the cross. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, at first glance, I think the people would have been imagining that he's talking about more rules. More rules. How many more rules can we follow? What do you mean? The most righteous in our society, our righteousness must exceed theirs. It's because Jesus is talking about an entirely different way. So, Pastor Jason, you want to unpack that? Absolutely. Jesus is saying that I've come to show you what it looks like to fulfill all of the Old Testament. So all of the law and all of the prophets, that's what Jesus is saying. Yet he's also saying, brace yourself. So if you're in the chat, you can just write brace yourself, just so I know you're connecting still. But if you're here, you can mumble under your breath, brace yourself. <laughs> it's going to look different than you think. And here's what I want to say. Every single one of us right now who are listening, there's, we have two Bibles. Every one of us has two Bibles. We have a Bible that has 66 books, right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. So we all have a Bible that has 66 books. And we also have the Bible that we like. Every single one of us have two Bibles. We have the Bible that we read, that is cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation. And we have the Bible that we like the Bible that we prefer, the Bible verses that we prefer, the chapters that we prefer, the testaments that we prefer. Every single one of us do this. And this is what Jesus was addressing in this Sermon on the Mount. We have the Bible exact for us today. We have the one that calls us wrong and calls us to repentance. And then we have the one that we like that blesses and benefits us. Uh, we have the one that likes people like the people we like. And then it has the one that we own that calls us to love everyone, including the people who make our blood boil in every which way. So Jesus says to the Pharisees of his day, you're simultaneously keeping the law, but you're ignoring the weightier things. And so again, he begins now to drive inward, which is pretty powerful. Here's what I want to say with absolute clarity as Jesus goes through his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't lower the bar that the law establishes because that would be to cause the law to be null and void. That would be injustice. And he is a God of righteousness and a God of justice. Injustice is where there is unequal application of a law. And that's what we see all in our culture, in our society today. And so Jesus doesn't lower the bar or doesn't lower the bar of the law at all. But what he does is he moves the line. And when he moves the line, it impacts every single one of us. So he simultaneously holds the bar, the line where, well, the bar where it is, but he moves the line. So here's what it sounds like. Sky Jathani says, in our culture, like our entire culture, including the church, we seem to be addicted to outrage. Anger has become the acceptable, even expected sign of one's commitment to any cause. 
It is as though the fruit of the Spirit is now love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, outrage, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? I'm not saying there aren't things that we should be outraged about. Or Bruxy Cavey this week talked about the problem with our moral grandstanding is that outrage is rewarded and nuance is punished and grace is rejected and prejudices are reinforced and polarization is normalized. This isn't the way of Jesus. And so in our day, this is what this language sounds like. In Jesus' day, he starts by talking about murder. And using murder, Jesus simultaneously upholds the law and he moves the line to talk about anger. And here's what he said. You have heard it said. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Pause. All through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said. Here's what he's addressing. Just because you heard someone preach it doesn't mean it's true. That's what he is specifically saying here. Just because Pharisees have said this doesn't mean it's true. And he's going to now bring correction to the things that we hear. I don't agree with everything I preach on a Sunday. All right? You're allowed to disagree. It's okay. That was a, that was a sort of joke, but not really. But you'd stare at me. They're like blank. You don't know what it's like to preach when all you can see is eyeballs, no facial expressions. It's scary. So you have heard it said, um, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's the law. You can think back to the Old Testament. You can think back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or with his sister will be liable to judgment. Jesus now says it's the same thing. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, you fool, a quick pause here. You fool is when you assassinate someone's character to prove your point. That's what he is saying here. He's not just saying when you say to someone, like, great, I can call people morons and idiots. I just can't call them fools. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is when you assassinate someone's character simply for your own selfish benefit, when we do those things, that's where he says, no, this is where sin is getting insidious in our hearts. So he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so if you're at church and you're worshiping and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled. If you're in the chat, type the word reconciled. If you're here, just say the word reconciled. First be reconciled to your brother. There's only one ministry that God has given the body of Christ. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's the only ministry he's given it. The gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. So first be reconciled to your brother and then come off your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so if we take that paragraph, here's what Jesus is saying. Anger or hate always leads to judgment. And judgment leads to bondage. And bondage leads to imprisonment. And imprisonment leads to an indebtedness that we can't get out of in ourselves. Pastor Albert Tate said it best when he said this. Jesus knew how to turn over tables. Jesus knew how to turn over the right tables, but minister to people. Jesus knew how to turn over tables and minister to people. And then he says, me? I turn over people and I ignore the tables which Jesus is turning over. I think that's powerful. So here's what I want to confess. I confess in the Bible there is something called righteous anger. Has anyone ever heard it before? 
Okay? I confess there's something called righteous anger. But here's what I want to equally confess. And you may be more like Jesus than I am. And so if you are, good on you and have grace for me, truly. But I equally confess, I can't see anywhere in my life, genuinely anywhere in my life, where any of my outbursts of anger, where I got really big or really loud in any relationship, any sphere, has produced anything that anyone would label as righteous. Christians, we do this one all the time. I'm angry right now, but it's a righteous anger. How do you know it's a righteous anger? <laughs> well, I'm righteous because I'm right. <laughs> That's not quite what righteousness is, is it? So we can do this politically. We can do this in a lot of different ways. Well, I'm right, so therefore I'm righteous. Ooh, is that Lord make everybody more like me? Or is that together we say, no, we all got to be more like Jesus. Which is it, church? Final quote, Dallas Willard says, In my anger sometimes I want to hurt you. In contempt I don't care whether you're hurt or not. Or at least so I say. You're not worthy of consideration one way or the other. We can be angry at someone without denying their worth. But contempt or retaliation makes it easier for us to hurt them or to see them further degraded. And so Jesus is saying, it's not just murder that's the problem. The sin and the seed of anger is going to lead to an imprisonment and an indebtedness. And unless we deal with that, we're not off the hook. So the message of the gospel isn't only to call murderers sinners. It's to call every one of us in anger when we lash out at people. We're on the same path towards destroying someone else who God has created in his image and his likeness. Pastor Lori. Wow. Are you uncomfortable yet? I was uncomfortable, yes. Because... This is, this is an uncomfortable message, and I, and I feel it. Like, I can feel it in my bones, just the discomfort as we press into this. But this revelation is a place of freedom. This new way of the kingdom is a place of freedom for all people. And so we have to together lean into this discomfort that is coming upon us by the word of God, this discomfort that the word of God is bringing. Like Jason said, we often like to just skip over these verses, or as we read these verses, we think about other people. But we have to today actually look inside, because that's where the place of freedom lies, is in addressing our own sin. And so for the rest of this chapter, you see Jesus doing this again and again. The very thing that Jason mentioned, he says, you have heard it said, he's talking about lust, he's talking about divorce, he's talking about oaths, he's talking about retaliation, he's talking about all of these things. And he says, you have heard it said, you have heard it preached, you have heard it taught, you know the law. But he says, no, no, I I have come to say, I say that. You have heard it one way, but I have come to bring greater meaning. You have not understood the heart behind the law. He's literally saying, no, you've missed it altogether. But I say to you, anyone who's been angry, anyone with even a lustful intent, anyone who has demanded justice has broken the law. And the truth is that is an offensive message because that message says that I'm just as guilty as a murderer. I'm just as guilty as an adulterer. I'm just as guilty. And there's a couple of things that Jesus is doing in this message that is so offensive because people of the day would have known who these people were and they would have thought somehow that they're better 
than them. But Jesus is looking at these people, the ones, the worst of society, and he's, he's saying to them, no, you're not the worst. The person sitting beside you is just as guilty. The person sitting beside you, that you can't see what their sin is, they're just as guilty. This is an offensive and an uncomfortable and a painful message because we are far more comfortable with looking at and focusing on the sin of others. But as long as we do that, as long as we stay in that place, we cannot truly be free. This works personally too with the sins that have been committed against us. And this is hard. Listen, I feel the tension in this. I feel it because I walk it out in my own life. When someone sins against me, I feel like, how dare they? How could they do that? I would never do something like that. And I focus on this injustice that has happened to me. But as long as I'm focusing on that injustice, I cannot get free. Jesus says to me, your or sin is the same as theirs. What? How could this be? How could this be? How could this be? It is an offensive message, an offensive message, because the truth is that anger, not just murder, which leads to things that we can't take back, is hell on earth. Lust, not just adultery. It's not how far do we take it, but lust, which leads to dehumanization of men or women, making people objects. It's, it's hell on earth. Broken promises, all of these things that Jesus is addressing, is inviting pieces of hell on earth into our lives. And at the epicenter of these offenses is where we find anger and lust and divorce and broken promises and hatred which all lead to some form of retaliation. I deserve justice. This week in a prayer time, I had this overwhelming sense, a warning from the Lord to be on guard for a spirit of offense. I sense that there has been a fresh unleashing or a new unleashing of a spirit of offense in a greater measure that is looking for a point of entry at home, in our family relationships, at work, with friends, in the church, in the world. There's a spirit of offense that's relentlessly baiting our thoughts through what we see, through what's happening to us, or around the world. And if it cannot get to you personally, if it cannot actually get through by something that's happening to you, then this bait of offense is coming on behalf of someone else. Be careful as you listen to stories of other people's offenses. Be careful that you don't pick up offenses on behalf of others. It will feel so right in the moment. It will feel so right to, to say words that drive the offense deeper. It will feel like you are standing up for that person in anger or support. But I am telling you today, it is not the righteous thing to do. The only defense against an offense is the way of love and trusting that God will fight for us. There's no other way to fight the wrongs that have happened and continue to happen. So we must be alert. Don't take the bait of offense. It wants to devour everything that's good inside of you. And like a stone thrown into a pond, the issue with an act of anger 
or, or an act of lust is its ripple effect. It's ripple effect into retaliation and vengeance. And Jesus says in this sermon, no, I invite you to a new way. I want you to turn the other cheek. When someone steals from you, I want you to give them something more. Don't just go one mile, go two miles. Pray and love your enemies. He constantly, constantly is giving us a new way and giving us the answer. This message, again, is so offensive because it requires surrender instead of retaliation. It requires us to soften our heart towards God and towards one another and to recognize that it is impossible for us to actually do this without help. And that's the point of the whole teaching. He's teaching a way that's impossible without the cross of Jesus Without the cross, his shed blood, his, his resurrection, in order to bring us to the place of our recognition of our need for a Savior. What did he say in the opening words of the message? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did for us what the law and what rules could never, ever, ever do. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity describes it like this, and I think this is a powerful way to think about our walk with God and our faith. He said, people often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain with God, which says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you, and if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that's the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning to the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something just a little different from what it was before. All your life, you're slowly turning this central thing into either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that's in harmony with God and its fellow creatures and with itself, or else one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, with its fellow creatures, and with itself. To be one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy, peace, knowledge, and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, weakness, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at a moment is progressing to one state or the other. It's a powerful way to think about our walk with God. And so I ask you the question again, are you waiting for heaven or is heaven waiting for you? With everything we think and feel and experience, we either bring in and invite a little bit more of heaven on earth or a little bit more of hell on earth. And Jesus is giving us the keys to living by the kingdom of heaven. Yet much of the time we're fooled into giving into lustful thoughts. We take the bait of offense. We feel justified in our anger. And in doing so, invite just a little bit more of hell in our lives. Matthew 15, 19 to 20 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and these are what defile a person. It comes from our heart. But the question we must ask ourselves today is how much of this can we see inside of ourselves? Do we recognize our propensity towards sin? Do we recognize how often we choose pride and selfishness and anger and self-justification? Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Why did he say that? He said because he wanted us to recognize this is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the work of the cross. This righteousness that Jesus is inviting us into is not about keeping rules, but transforming the brokenness of our heart and recognizing the war that is within us between our flesh and our spirit, owning that there is evil in us at the very heart level, not as compared to those who have sinned worse than us, but in comparison to a holy, righteous, and a perfect God. You see, at the foundational level, the law can order a society. It can render someone innocent or guilty. I know the speeding ticket that I get, it definitely renders me guilty of breaking a law, and the law can do that. But what it cannot do is transform a heart, which is why Jesus ends by saying in Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's another but I say to you, and listen to this one, because I'm telling you, he takes it to a whole other level. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It's an invitation into a new family, into a new kingdom. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. There is a grace covering over all, whether you believe or not. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, of course, perfect doesn't mean perfect the way that we understand it. It means whole. It means complete but if we focus only on that part, we miss the best part of this story. You see, the kingdom of heaven on earth starts with embracing the king of this kingdom, the lordship, giving him absolute lordship in our life. Because he said there, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You see, your heavenly Father, through the work of Jesus, is inviting you to share in sonship, oneness with the Father. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many would acknowledge here today and online, you can put your hand up in the chat, that you are poor in spirit, that you are in need of a Savior. Every single one of us is. We can't do it without Jesus. If we desire to be perfect, to be complete, to be whole, it's going to take a righteousness that exceeds behavior management. It's not just about following the rules. We need a heart transplant at the heart level. We need to be transformed as sons and daughters of God because it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. And it is a powerful gospel that fully redeems us in that recognition of our sin. It's something that Jesus does for us, not anything that we can do in ourselves. And this is the invitation into this new way and this new kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into. Amen. So two things just before Pastor Rhonda comes. First, 
is in this story that we, not the story, but in the Sermon on the Mount, that the piece that we just read, I want you to remember that Jesus was talking to Jewish people who understood the law and the prophet, prophets. And so what he does is very intentional. He starts by giving two examples. The first example is around murder and anger. And the next example he goes to is around adultery and divorce. Why is Jesus doing this? Jesus is doing this intentionally because when we hate one another, when we have in our hearts that you're my enemy, then everything is on the table for destruction, which means I am violating understanding that you are created in the image and likeness of God just as much as I am. And so whether it is white or black or Latino, male or female, all along the spectrum, the heart of Jesus to every single one of us is be mindful when we begin to demonize one another, when we begin to see one another in a way that de denigrates, all right? So he talks about murder, which he goes right back to, yeah, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the family of God. Then he talks, of course, he's talking to a people that understood in the first family, Cain and Abel, the first major sin that you see that brings destruction in a family is all around worship that moves to hatred that goes right to murder. Jesus is addressing a known story in their culture. Go, well, then it seems odd. Well, then why does he go to lust and adultery? Why? Because all throughout the prophets, guess what the prophets consistently said to Israel? You're adulterous. You're leaving the heart of God. You're moving away. So again, he is speaking to a people that I would understand what is the number one thing that every single one of us online or here have our faith rooted in? It is one thing that God is a covenant keeping God. That when we are not faithful, that God remains faithful. So when he begins to address adultery, he's not just talking again about sins to a brother and a sister or within a marriage. Yes, of course it includes that, but he's talking to all of our hearts saying every single one of us are prone to wander from the love of God to the power of culture. We're all prone to wander, wander and to chase idols. So he's talking about not just natural things, but spiritual things. And then if you continue to look through what he's doing, he is progressively talking about individual realities and cultural idols. And it's why by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure they were thinking, mm, not sure this guy's the one. I like the miracles, don't really like the message. Okay, so there's a, there's, a, there's a point that Jesus is doing. Why do I say all that in this moment? I say it because this week is Remembrance Day within Canada. Church, Canada is not the kingdom. It's simply a country. It is a great country, but it is not the savior that we seek. It doesn't diminish Canada in any which way. Canada is full of righteousness and injustice. Canada is full of the hope of what could be and a past that includes, whether it's with First Nations or those of different ethnicities, slavery. There's a complicated reality when you look at Canada. It's not just this glossed over. And the choice that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is not to whitewash it and to cover it. No, the choice that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is do you want the Prince of Peace to rule? Or do you want to continue to live into the space of seeing little glimpses of heaven, but more of hell on earth? And so today, as we take a moment and we remember, we remember those who all throughout history have given their life for the sake of freedom. 
But we also remember, if you've talked to any veterans, for me, that's my grandparents who have now gone on to be with the Lord. When I spoke to my grandparents about their experiences, both male and female, in the war, they resoundingly said one thing and one thing alone. It is something that no generation should ever have to experience. You and I understand together that when hatred moves into murder, moves into countries hating one another or other countries and evil and injustice and hell on earth, that it only produces more of the same. And so today, as we take a moment and remember and honor those who serve, we do so remembering that, Lord, we don't elevate Canada to a place of idolatry. We remember with gratefulness within our hearts but our hearts long for heaven on earth because only when the Prince of Peace rules and reigns, only when the prophetic heart of Canada, which is Psalm 72, that only when God has dominion from sea to sea to sea, from the river to the end of the earth, only there were men and women, black and white, young and old, only there First Nations and Canadians, French and English, only there will we actually see the hope and the freedom that God desires. And so today as we enter into Remembrance Day. It may be personal for you to think of someone who gave their life. It may be prayerful for you to think of somebody who is serving. You may be here as a Canadian today, and you may move into a place, even as we go through this, of intercession of God saying, would you forgive us for what we've done? And Lord, would you help Canada to look more like you? Would you help all of us as a people to embrace and embody this on earth as it is in heaven? And so I'm going to invite you to stand together as we pray, not only in a heart of remembrance for our nation, as we honor those who have served, honor those who are serving, but continue to pray. God, would you use all of our lives so that we can truly be, God, can you keep our land glorious and free, not just out there, but in here.